Support for Healthcare Americana comes from Freedom HealthWorks. With Freedom HealthWorks, physicians, employers, and patients can thrive in direct care. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com to start your journey into direct care today. From Freedom HealthWorks, it's Healthcare Americana, a show about innovators, idealists, and pioneers in healthcare. These are their stories. I am your host, Christopher Hayden. What does the word community mean to you? Is it a group of people working together, a sense of belonging, a sense of home? Does community represent our values and respect for each other? Does it mean being involved, being present, and actually learning people's names? It is such a powerful yet ambiguous word, oftentimes overused and underused at the same time. Many listeners can remember a time, and I'm not gonna say the good old days, When community was local, it was more like a family. Everyone had their roles to play, and these roles really helped us prosper, helped keep us safe. Now, there was a very prominent role in which people placed their trust, bared their secrets, and who they called for help. A role that was prioritized, prized, and carried a little bit of a mystique. Now, the great painter Norman Rockwell would convey this figure as going the extra yard to make the youngest of us feel at ease while giving mom and dad peace of mind. This, of course, is the physician. The physician was a leader in our community, a pillar of strength and a beacon of fairness, respected and revered. Now today, where is that sentiment, that activism and that purpose? Today, physicians have been relegated to really faceless existences, being commoditized to have people believe that anyone with a stethoscope or a white lab coat are the same hidden behind millions of dollars of hospital branding and appearing as a name on a list. Many would say physicians did this to themselves. The days of a doctor being a respected member of the community have not vanished. It is a doctor that has vanished from the community. With us today, Drs. Matt and Janelle Flieger. They're fighting to become integral to their town's community, and it's really something that affects us all. There are people who are yearning for the physician experience and knowledge in communities, but they're not getting it. And then they're going elsewhere for it. And so we've been able to step into that vacuum and not just do it in a way that's good for us, for our business, but in a way that we care about our community. We often talk about the community aspect of DPC or direct care. And the word community can mean a lot of different things to different people. What is community, what's that word mean to you and, and how do you interact with peers and patients in the context of direct care? Yeah, so we both grew up in, in smaller communities um, and Janelle grew up on the more towards the Lafayette, Monticello area in a small town and I grew up where we're practicing now in Huntington, which is about like a 20,000 size town. Um, and so this idea of community was really what draw us back to um, where we're living at now because we were living in Denver and um, it didn't feel like there was a lot of community happening and so we desired to have that back and so we moved back and then we decided to open this practice and so that kind of idea has been um, something we've been pursuing from the get-go um, and, and we started to understand that there was no way to make this practice work if we were an island, if we were um, not connected to other people. Um, and so we really made it um, our priority to get to know people um, and just set up meetings and go talk to people and go to social things. And um, Janelle and I have started to be on um, 
board of directors for nonprofits and these types of things that are doing good work in our community and um, is important stuff and shows people in our community that we care about where we live. Um, and so all of those things have had ripple effects for our practice because people see that we are not just, we're not just this island. I, I said that before, we are connected to, to where we live. And even the idea, you know, when we first moved back, we set up a meeting with the CEO of the hospital to say, hey, look, here's what we're doing. We know we're kind of like different than you guys because it's a very large organization. Um, we're not trying to compete. We're not trying to steal. We're just trying to serve the patients that are going to be served best by us. Sure. Um, and, and so that was a really fantastic conversation um, and led to a lot of great things happening out of that because it led off with, we're not adversarial. We're here for the best for Huntington County and the health of Huntington County. So how do we do that together? That's really amazing. And, and uh, my eyes kind of uh, opened when you said that because some people would be like, wow, you just walked into the, uh, the den of the bear. You know, you walked in the teeth of the enemy there. What, um, so tell us a little bit more about, about that conversation. What was their reaction? Did they have a reaction? She was, uh, the CEO acknowledged that their system doesn't necessarily serve everyone well, whether that's due to a long wait list for new patients, you know, maybe frequent ER visits that just need kind of a, a more hands-on primary care approach. And so I wouldn't say she was like, you go get them, but she was encouraging and welcoming of our model, knowing that it was something different in the community. And, and I think even a year or so later, she came back to us with someone from like the organization's administration that was looking to kind of kind of rebrand and incorporate aspects that seem like make patient, have to have patients have easier access to their providers. And so they just, they kind of almost bounced ideas off us, off of us. And we kind of said, yeah, that'll work. Or mm, we've tried that and it hasn't been successful. And so that was interesting too, because there wasn't really a clear, I mean, there was no sort of financial incentive for us to meet with them or vice yeah. versa. It just, just a meeting of the mind, so to speak. Yeah. We've learned that you're always going to win if you just have a conversation with somebody and just find out what they are doing and what we're doing and just kind of lay that out there. Um, and the, it's bad when it's, you assume what they are doing or you assume they have negative intentions or the such. Things don't go as well. But when you just go into it and just be like, let's just all exist together and do the best for our patients and not what's best for us. Right. What's best for our patient. So right. That's so, what we do medicine is. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You, you, you put the, the value back into the patient care and a lot of really cool things could happen. And so far, you know, I hear this kind of underlying theme of, of community and what that really means is, is relationships. And, and that's always a hallmark of direct care practices too. But I think that's just absolutely fascinating that so your hospital system locally there is coming to you and here's this small practice uh, coming to you for, for advice on, hey, how do, we, how do we do things better? Because they must have seen something that you guys were doing well that they weren't and said, why can't we do that too? And we, we have a nurse at the hospital just down the street that we're, we're referring to. And, and um, she's, she does the discharge planning. And we'll get direct referrals from her for patients who don't have primary care physicians just to do hospital follow-up. And, and she does her best to explain the 
model to them um, and kind of puts the ball in their court in terms of making that phone call. But we're able to kind of schedule that, you know, three to, three to five day follow up and, and hopefully integrate them into our practice. Even even referral channels like that, like they have to know who you are and what you're doing, right? So again, back to Dr. Matt's uh, point there is, is have a conversation with people, get known. So obviously, you've been very active in your local town, local community, Huntington, Indiana. You know, this, this kind of piggybacks, and I think we covered a little bit this, but turning more towards a physician's role in their community and their role locally why is it so important that a doctor becomes invested, not just money-wise, but in their time and their effort and their relationships? Why is it so important they become invested locally? I would guess the majority of physicians want to have those opportunities. I think a lot of times maybe employed physicians don't, can't find the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And so this practice has given us a lot of bandwidth to plug into areas of, of passion for us. There's a national organization called Walk with a Doc, and so we started a local chapter. And so once a month, we meet on the local trails and say, you know, let's let's talk about prevention. Like, let's let's move together. Let's take a walk together. And people have really enjoyed that. It's open to anyone in the community, so it's it's not like they necessarily have to be a patient of ours to participate. What I've heard out of people just in the community is the way they talk about the employed physicians is they just don't see them. They're not involved in anything. They know their names, but they're not really part of the community. And you kind of keep hearing this kind of theme over and over again. Um, There's a medical society for our county. It's hard to get some of the employed physicians to come to this. And we have this big foundation that we're using to give away money and make grants to organizations. It should be a good thing to do, but they're not coming because I think they don't have the bandwidth to be involved. But then when you're in these groups and you're with local leaders and you're talking to them, they value the physician's opinion. There is something that comes with being a physician that gives you some, I don't know, street cred or some knowledge that allows you to speak into things. And leaders want that. They want to hear it. They want to see it. Um, And so we have been able to really be useful in our community for the knowledge that we've developed over the years. So Janelle and I sit on the local public health board now. um, And what a time to be on the local public health board. Um, And uh, Janelle's involved with the trail system in town. And I'm involved with a a recovery house for people with addiction and um, which are big issues in our community. So there are people who are yearning for the physician experience and knowledge in communities, but they're not getting it. And then they're going elsewhere for it. And so we've been able to step into that vacuum and not just do it in a way that's good for us, for our business, but in a way that we care about our community. Right, right. It's not just a myopic view of this is going to get us new business or new, new patients, new physicians. And, and I think that's an interesting phenomenon. I grew up and my father was a was the first physician in a town north of Indianapolis and uh, back in the early 80s. And, you know, he goes, he's, the, he's on the sideline of every single high school football game. People know him. And I'm like, Dad, you could run for mayor for life if you wanted to on this. And you've been citizen of the year and stuff. We just don't see that anymore. Is that something that is a throwback? Are those days too far gone or can we get that back? People remember those days and that's, and that's fun. And they'll, you know, they'll name drop those physicians that are, that are, you, you know, retired, have moved on, no longer in practice. Um, and they say, Oh, it's just like Dr. So-and-so, you know, he would, uh, 
you meet me at the back door. And it was a, a less traditional way to interact with your physician. The problem is yeah. that he, they also mentioned that they, those physicians smoked during the visits, they did, too. Yeah, they did. So. <laughs> yeah, you have a cigarette in one hand and my antibiotics in the other. It's 10 a.m., you got a physical and a scotch and a cigarette yeah, in the yeah. office, too. Yeah. So we're not doing that, but they do say, like, yeah, they remember these old physicians and they miss those days and that relationship um, that existed with those providers. They miss that. Mm-hmm. They do. And we don't live in the town of Huntington. We live in just the neighboring town. Our kids are in the Huntington County school system. But, you know, there's been instances where it's like, I realize you you live closer to my house than to my office. And, and maybe one of us is at home at the time. And so maybe we'll just pop by your house if that's okay. We do people's newborn visits at their home just as a matter of convenience. But, yeah, we've had somebody with a dog bite kind of maybe just come to our house yeah, first. Yeah, just drive. Because <laughs> it's late. And if it's not a big deal, we don't necessarily want to spend the time it takes us to drive into town. Yeah. And so if they're driving by our house pretty much anyway, like we'll just look at it at our house. And Yeah, I mean, you got to think in a farming community too. And people want to be just no nonsense about things like, don't make a lot of barriers for me. Let's make this simple. And let's just get it done. Um, whatever it takes, let's just get it done. And so if you can kind of embrace into that mentality, um, which is easier for us because we grew up in it, it works really well. Yeah. So it's not just a romanticized viewpoint of everybody wants to say, oh, in the good old days, in the good old days, this and this and this. And it doesn't seem like it's that far-fetched to say, well, why can't care go back to this? Why can't I know and have a personal relationship with my doctor? Yeah, it seems like people almost have a little bit of trauma. Like when they come to our office and they don't have to do a bunch of paperwork and they just walk into the exam room right away, um, they're like, can we do that? Is that okay? Oh, I, Wait, oh, I, get it. I don't have to sit with you. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm like, I can get some paperwork for you if you want to fill it out, but I don't need you to do that. Um, let's just have a visit. And they're like, oh, okay. Cool. You know, it takes a while for them to realize like all of the layers of burden that healthcare has put on people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a second to back away from that. Like, oh, none of that mattered at all towards yeah. what I was actually complaining about. Yeah, I think a lot of the big healthcare systems, and not saying they're all they all do this, but they they try to establish that there's such parity. Anybody wearing a stethoscope and a white lab coat's all the same. So why would you want to go pick one or the other? You're going to get the, the first appointment and that's that. Mm-hmm. And it's sad, really. It really is. Because I think human beings are very social animals. Uh, like we're seeing during quarantine, you know, a lot of people are missing that just basic human interaction. So why not extend that to a trusted physician who actually cares about you and wants to do his best or her best to get you as healthy as possible. Um, so when you guys first started your practice there locally, what did, what did people think? What was the reaction? A few people were familiar with the concept, likely from maybe interviews with Sean Hannity that he'd done with other DPC physicians. And so, you know, I think there was a libertarian we got like right off the bat. He's just like, he just really wanted to do it yeah. <laughs> almost for the novelty, but yeah. turns out he stuck with us from the beginning. There definitely wasn't a flood to our door, but we, we were proactive. It wasn't like we just sat and waited, waited for the phone to ring. Mm-hmm. We really networked and we realized that any conversation we had with somebody after we got through that whole explanation phase, 
they automatically knew someone or knew of a situation where this would have been the right thing for them. And so no conversation is a wasted conversation. If it gets filed away in someone's collective memory and it gets jogged eventually and they say, oh yeah, there's these physicians down the road and this is how they do it. And they don't always do a, you know, an accurate job of explaining it. But I think the first initially, there's a lot of people looking for urgent care type services. They weren't interested in direct primary care. And, and so we came up with this phrase, and it's probably not something we coined, but it was like, your, your emergency is not my emergency. There are urgent cares available for this reason. And if the only reason you're signing up for direct primary care is because this one thing is happening to you in this moment and you're miserable, you probably will pay me for a month, maybe two, and then you're gone. And so that was just part of the learning curve. When we didn't have patients, we were, we would kind of, I don't know if we'd bend the rules, but we would kind of bend on, on people's, how well they embraced the philosophy. And it generally didn't work out, you know, because they Mm -hmm. got what they needed and then they were gone. Yeah, just to jump in there, because that's an interesting concept you brought up. Do you find, kind of going back to what we're talking about, that people are so conditioned to stay away from any type of healthcare unless, not literally, but figuratively their eyes were bleeding out, you know? in, in my view, like everybody, and this is, you know, talking to all kinds of doctors across the nation, it, people were, patients were incentivized to stay away from the doctor because they didn't know how much it would cost. They didn't know how much time they'd have to devote to it. And sometimes ignorance is bliss when it comes to healthcare issues. Do you think people are just conditioned over the years? I think the condition is a great way to explain that. Because, yeah, I think people, you know, you explain the model and they tell you how healthy their family is. I'm like, Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you take good care of your health. I'm glad you take good care of your kids. If you don't see the value, then, then it's probably not a good fit. If you're trying to avoid health care because you can get by on an annual basis spending less than $500, um, maybe not. And so we were, we've been upfront with people that have that, that conditioning to the degree that they can't kind of do a shift in order to kind of yeah. think – this is why this is a good thing. And we wouldn't, we would then not try that hard on those people. Like you started to get a sense of who this was going to work for and who it wasn't going to work for. And, and for those people that it's going to work for, you pursue a little bit harder because you know that they're going to get it. And some people, it's just like, they're never going to be a direct primary care patient. And that's okay. Kind of going back to the 80-20 rule. It's like, you know, 20% of people just aren't going to get it, but you're going to waste 80% of yeah. your time trying to get them back exactly. into it. So it's, it's those people that, you know, I always love this question that, well, I'm healthy. I, I never see the doctor except maybe once a year for a physical. And it's like, you look at this person, it's like, this person is a train wreck. You're a ticking time bomb. What are you doing? Should you be seeing the doctor more often? But yeah, I, I don't want to pick on farm communities because I'm from one myself, but it seems like some of those, uh, <laughs> some of those old yeah. timers, you know, they've been, they've been used to taking care of themselves for a long time, but it seems kind of a, yeah. an interesting mindset, uh, uh, particular to potentially rural communities. And how do you break that conditioning or show them that, you know what, this is affordable, you know, everything's going to be right up front and we're going to take good care of you. You know, in, in a, a small community like ours, it's word of mouth. The word of mouth works really well. So you take really good care of your patients and you show them that you care and you listen to them and you respond to them and you address their questions, not maybe what, what I think their question is, but you address their question mm-hmm. and they're going to start to tell their friends and their family that these people are different. So if you keep that as your mantra, you will end up winning. 
if you go into this business and you are in it for yourself, you don't listen to your patients or you just try to keep pounding a certain thing into them because you think that that's the right answer, they're going to get turned off really fast and they're going to be like, nah, right. it's not a great place to be. So word of mouth was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would assume that following through on what you say your services are going to provide at the same time, you know, how many doctors do you talk to that says, well, I, I say 24 seven. It's like, there's no way in hell that you can do 24 seven care. <laughs> you can't, you get, people are going to be smart enough. They're going to see through this stuff. And again, gosh, you lie to somebody about something little like that. Are they going to build enough trust with you to come see you? Or like you said, tell your friends. I think we see from the Freedom Healthbrook side, about 65% of new enrollment is all word of mouth. I would believe it. It's yeah. friends, family, coworkers, other businesses, like you said, referrals from other, other physicians. Yeah, we've, we've talked about, we could, we could name out a couple families or groups of people that led to this tree of other patients. And so you almost want to make a map of this person. I know this person told these people and they told these people and they told these people and you could lead to like, whoa, that was just like, 200 patients right there wow. from one or two people. It's pretty dramatic how it happens. Yeah. Well, careful with that. The CDC might sign you up for contact tracing uh, yeah, exactly. when they catch that. <laughs> um, so wanted to, you know, one of the things that comes, comes with being active in the community, knowing everybody, everybody knowing you, uh, what we see in patterns, kind of smaller towns, we get asked a lot from, from doctors who want to start practices up in urban areas because they think the population, larger population, will mean more patients for them to pull from. Is that necessarily true in your experience? Thank goodness, no. You know, so we have a thriving practice in a small community. Our county has 40,000 people. Our city has 20,000. And what we capped out at 900 patients is all we needed. And that's with the both of us, and we actually hired a nurse practitioner to help us with some of the more acute care visits um, and some other kind of like lifestyle coaching and stuff like this. So we didn't need a huge amount of people, less than 140th of, of everybody. And it wasn't that hard. We, we were full by year three. I would say choose where you want to live because that's where you want to live. Yeah. Yes. Do I miss some of the restaurants in Denver, Colorado? <laughs> yes. And the quality of food? Sure. But I also have space for my kids to run outside and, and a pond. So yeah, there's definitely trade-offs. And I'll be honest, we decided to move back from Colorado to Indiana before we even really considered what we were going to do for, for employment. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's only one thing we're qualified to do. But we, you know, we were like, well, I guess you just sign up to work for the hospital because that's what everybody does. <laughs> but there was a resident who I was a preceptor for and she was the one that turned me on to the idea of direct primary care. And so as a resident, she was already kind of disillusioned with the whole medicine. She hasn't even practiced yet. You know, she's become a mover and a shaker in the DPC community uh, practices in Kansas city right now. But early before we, I even realized we were moving, I would listen to her talk about this concept and it was just kind of interesting, but I really didn't take in a lot of the information because it didn't apply to me. And I didn't think I was going to need it. And then all of a sudden, we were like, we would like to live somewhere else, uh, which is going to require us to have new jobs. And all of a sudden, what she had to say became a lot more interesting to me. And it really took off quickly from there. And so mm -hmm. we were building this business from another state. Um, and so I think that's important to know, too. I mean, you can be pretty new in the community. It'll take some probably additional work because you don't have the name recognition. 
you obviously don't have any existing patients that are going to follow you. Honestly, the, one of the first things we did is we decided there's a really popular 5K, a turkey trot in town, and we became like the lead sponsor before we moved. And the cost of, or the standard of living is lower here. So our rent on our building is less, um, our mortgage is less, you know, the cost of just doing business has been less. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can start one of these in a big city, but just know your overhead is higher than what our overhead is. That's something you got to consider in how many patients you're going to take on, what you're going to charge them, their expectations of care is going to change dramatically um, in a larger city versus where we are. So those are all part of the equation to consider. Sure. Not to mention competition. Uh, You mentioned that there's a local hospital system and some big cities in Indianapolis, we have four large hospital systems that are all vying for buying, I'm not going to say vying, but buying physicians. Yes. It's like, wow, okay. If I don't like one here, well, there's other options, right? Right. You guys didn't want to go employed. You only had one option and that was independent practice. Yeah. Yeah. So staying on the vein of of building out relationships and, and becoming really this pillar in your local community, at what point did people start coming up to you and saying, hey, I got a small welding shop. I got a small contracting business. Is this an option for my employees? Yeah, that one. So definitely that took a while. You know, from the very beginning, I was sending out and trying to do outreach to businesses, whether that was sending them letters or trying to make some connections and and through the Chamber of Commerce and talking about the benefit to a business. I don't think we had our first business sign up with us until about a year and a half in or so. Um, So that it takes a while to get a business to decide that it's worth it. Just businesses move slower and that speed is is different than what an individual is going to do. So we had business sizes kind of trickle in a different amount of employees. And one of the biggest ones that we had start was one that was under 50, but they offered insurance and they wanted to bake us into the plan. They came to us they said, this is what we want to do. Kim, is that okay? And we were like, uh, yeah, of course. Um, of course, that'd be okay. And they're like, well, we had heard about you guys. You spoke at Rotary. And then we had talked about it and we love it. Let's do it. And that was huge. And I think they then started telling other business owners about the benefit. And then we started to get other businesses sign up with us. So again, it's this word of mouth type thing and you never know where they're going to come from. Mm-hmm. So most of our, that's one of our only ones that's actually were baked into their insurance. The rest of them are just auto mechanic, a couple tool and dies, construction. It's a lot of trades. Oh, it uh, sounds like. Yeah. Retail and other things where they've just got a small amount of employees. They want to get a benefit. They can't afford insurance, but they want to do something for their employees sure. to create a reason why the employees shouldn't leave um, because uh, unemployment, well, not right now, but traditionally has been very low and it's very hard to hire people. So they wanted to give something. So um, it's been a win for us. It's been a win for them. And we try to do our best to keep these employees at the job site, not coming in to see us, keep them healthy or engage with them electronically so they don't have to leave work, which bosses then love. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The benefits all the way around and especially profound on your point, the low unemployment, you know, before the uh, coronavirus pandemic uh, struck us, 
retention and uh, attracting new employees, especially amongst the trades, was yeah. super competitive. And yeah. we've heard that in all 50 states. <laughs> and it's like, wow, there's a real benefit. You know, a lot of a lot of physicians want to go after lawyers or people who are billing hourly like that. And I have not heard a lot of success stories there. I'm sure there are, but it seems to time and time again that the trades, the local craftsmen, if you will, are the ones who are signing up for this and seeing the the really true benefit and the uh, the need to have this for their people. And we found, you know, our general theme of this business and in life is like, let's keep it simple, right? I don't want complicated. And so that really turned us off from getting involved in in businesses that were larger or had insurance plans. It just added a layer of complexity that was a headache that it just wasn't totally worth it or it just didn't work out and just didn't pan out the way that we thought it was going to pan out. And it's so easy to sign up a company of five. So easy. Right. <laughs> um, you just put a billing method in and, and it's done. Uh, so that's where our success has been driven from. Right. Those employees are then able to add potentially spouses and children, yeah. you know, separate from their employer. But, but yeah, so you get, additional patients that way because, you know, their whole family needs healthcare um, and they kind of have experienced it. So, so yeah, why yeah. wouldn't they sign up? Yeah. And I, and I love that approach. I really do. Again, you're reinforcing your presence in the community. You're making yourself known on a local level as a lot of physicians are losing their jobs from employed positions. Very few DPC are struggling right now. And the ones that have, and I mentioned this, you know, just chatting offline earlier, the ones that are struggling or have, had 300, 400 patients from one employer and all of a sudden that employer cancels that plan and you're toast. You can't do anything. So, you know, I want to get your opinion on this, but a lot of people think, and, and this is kind of in the, the macro DPC direct care world, that getting employer plans is kind of this panacea, kind of the silver bullet, one, one size fits all fix. And it brings DPC into the limelight and, you know, pushes everything forward. Do you agree with that type of opinion? I think I believed that at the beginning. Yeah. And now I realize that if we had set our practice up that way, I don't think we would be as happy. I think for, for our reality, I, it, it wouldn't have been a good move, even though that's what I thought I wanted because it was going to be a huge bolus of patients. And you would hear of other practices that were getting these kind of big boluses. And, and it seemed, and definitely the onboarding seemed very overwhelming. Um, but again, I think there's, and even with our smaller businesses, you know, an employee gets terminated and they still want to come see you. And so, you know, if you're working with a larger company and, you know, employees come and employees go, like then you're having to track down even that, that many more people who don't, you know, have to re readdress their payer. Sure. Um, sure. A lot of admin, admin time. And yeah. like you said, keep it simple, right? Yeah. And, and for some docs, maybe their life is such that, that works for them. And we definitely decided it was not for us. And, and there's potentially also like a philosophical aspect to this is the moment that you have this large business that's signed up with you, again, you kind of have a boss again, a little bit like you're not owned by them, but you are very heavily dependent on this organization and this business. And when we wanted to do DPC, it's because we wanted to be flexible. We wanted to be independent. And we wanted to be able to be free of all of that other stuff. And so that would feed into this idea of these smaller businesses that we're not relying on or individual families and people that we can handle the 
influx outflux a little easier. Right, right. No, that's a great point. If if you're trying to get away from an insurance company standing in the middle of your doctor patient relationship, all of a sudden you bring on a big time employer. Well, guess what? You just swapped yeah. out master for another one, right? Right. And somehow you maybe get painted as the bad guy in this in certain scenarios because right. you you weren't available when they thought you were available and yeah, now there's grumbling and it would take yeah. away the personal aspect for us. And, and I think it's just not built for our personalities in general. So yeah. I think, sure. I think we're a little more casual and easygoing and maybe would have a hard time getting super buttoned up to take care of a, a big company. Yeah. There's certainly also the dynamic of when a, an employee is signed up, they didn't choose us. Right. They were given us which is a different dynamic versus a person who came in our doors and wanted us. They knew about us. They wanted to sign up with us because they've heard about us and what we can offer. Already, the mood in the room is completely different between those two patients. Yeah, um, like you said, why, why am I here? You know, are you the bad guy? What's your angle? Are you trying to get one over on me? Exactly. Right. Because what we've done is sometimes even our smaller businesses will reach out proactively to some of these younger males and, you know, and they're almost like, I, I don't know why you're reaching out to me. I don't need anything. You know, they're almost a, a little bit aggressive and yeah. you're like, I just want to let you know I'm here. That's all. <laughs> uh, but they feel like it's something that they didn't really want. They, yeah. were, they were given it. And I think that's the case in a lot of business sort of packages. This is what you get. And so, yeah, when it's not a choice, it may not set as well with the individual and it just, it creates a different dynamic in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. A lot of people want to talk about, um, you know, what kind of demographics are joining these practices and kind of to your point, I don't think a lot of DPC patients fit in demographic buckets. No. It's almost like they have to have almost a, a psychographic uh, you know, similarities because they need to have an experience and you guys are laughing and yeah. shaking your head and pointing at the screen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes complete sense. Um, and I've never had the words to explain that, but I've heard this idea, you know, you see on these threads of DPC docs of like, where'd you find your patients or what kind of patients or what are their, you're trying to find data on them, but there's not a data point. It's this personality type or it's right. this, where are they at on their journey? Yep. Where have they been burned before? Where are, what are they trying to solve? What problem are they trying to get that they haven't been able to solve yet? That is not something you can really put data on. Yeah. How do you ask people if they've had a, a really bad experience with a loved one in the hospital or... Yeah you know, seeing the importance of having a patient advocate um, in, in any, any type of care situations, um, having a doctor on speed dial to interpret results from a specialist. I mean, th that just doesn't, that's hard to do for any type of modern advertising or marketing company. Yeah. You know, very rarely will you be able to run Facebook ads for, you know, people who <laughs> had bad, uh, yeah. bad surprise hospital bills after breaking a leg. It's like, right. how do you do that, right? Yeah, it's really difficult. Start to look like an ambulance chaser. <laughs> <laughs> well, the story, you know, the, the fix is storytelling, and that's what we're doing here today, yeah. right? So being active in your community, getting the word out. One last question for you guys, and, and, and uh, I appreciate you being patient uh, and chatting with us for this episode today. But so you guys are branching out from your clinic. You've opened up a uh, direct pay vasectomy clinic and a direct pay skincare center, which is Really cool and really fascinating, again, from my standpoint. Call me nerdy if I get excited over the direct pay world and this kind of stuff, branching yeah. out to these more like 
quote-unquote specialist realms, right? But one thing you, you mentioned as, as being a, a impetus for doing this is that you are able to price these services to the local market. Tell us a little bit about that, what that means to you and how that has become an advantage. Yeah. Based on our experience with other direct primary care clinics, I think our direct primary care clinic is priced lower than others. We felt though it was the right price for our market that was going to allow us to grow at the rate that we wanted it to grow at and also be accessible for our patients. Um, And so we've heard lots of people kind of be like, you don't charge enough. And, And I was like, well, come out to our community and live here for a while and then tell me if I'm charging correctly or not charging correctly. So that was something that we had to come up with together and we've adjusted our rates a little bit, but um, nobody's complained about it, but we're still, I think, under other people. But also because we are opted out of Medicare, now we're a little bit easier with what we can charge and especially with like the vasectomy business, you can price it for a reasonable price. And my overhead for this business goes down dramatically. It's so much lower than what it would be. Um, And so I think sometimes, even with the vasectomy, people are like, wait, that's it? How can it be so low? And I'm like, it's low (laughs) because there's not overhead baked into it. You're not having to pay for the billing agent. You're not having to pay for the front desk person. You're not having to pay for the fancy waiting room that you're never going to sit in. You're not going to have to pay for X, Y, and Z. That's why it's priced the way it is. So if you want to pay more for I don't know what, then go somewhere else. You know, in the end, people are like, oh, yeah, I just want to know what the price is. I want it to be clear and easy. Interesting that people are starting to to attribute, I'm going to say this word after I said that I hate this word, but quality almost to a certain price point in healthcare. Anything below that's like, oh, this must be some kind of disposable throwaway type of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Now, it's an yeah. interesting phenomenon. It definitely, it definitely is. Yeah. Dr. Matt Flieger and Dr. Janelle Flieger, I appreciate you guys uh, taking time out of your busy day to join us here on Healthcare Americana. Uh, we wish you guys all the best. It sounds like things are going. Yeah, they're going great up, up here. And um, maybe someday other DPC practices will join up in Northeast Indiana. But as of now, we're one of the few. Hey, we're trying to get everybody up and, up and going all over the country. Well, guys, I appreciate you. Good luck with Cardinal Family Medicine and all the other uh, pursuits you guys are doing. It's, uh, it really is a great success story and, and appreciate you sharing your knowledge. I know you guys are active, a bunch of medical schools and residency programs. So keep on the good fight and keep doing what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Healthcare Americana is powered by Freedom HealthWorks, managed by Melissa Turpin, produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro. Send us your thoughts at info at healthcareamericana.com. I'm Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. And hey, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor, let us know that too. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.